0: Hello everyone and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us.
1: We began encountering this attacking entity for our customers out in East Asia.
0: That's Tom Hagel. He's a senior threat researcher at ProtectWise 401 TRG. The research we're discussing today concerns a threat group they call the Win-T Umbrella.
1: Just kind of seeing them evolve over time really attracted my attention towards them kind of seeing the targets they are going after and seeing how they've evolved over time, in addition to just their, you know, their determination really kind of attracted me to them. Um, So I spent a good amount of time focusing on them over the last uh, few months. Um, And then also last year during multiple incidents.
0: So set the table for us. Uh, What is the background here? Who is this group and what's their history?
1: Yes, this group goes back quite a while. So as you'll notice in the report, we reference a lot of external reporting from other vendors and researchers out there. Uh, Some of the first reporting on this particular entity was done in 2013 and 2014 from uh, Kaspersky Lab and then Novetta. Uh, The interesting thing was a lot of the historical reports Uh, actually link even farther back to previous operations conducted by associated entities, different attribution on like an actor name level. Um, But they have always kind of had an agenda of going after politically focused targets. So in 2013, a lot of the attacks that Novetta actually uh, documented were identifying pieces of malware signed with code signing certificates from additional victims of, of that entity. So the ultimate goal kind of goes back in long history, going after the uh, the government side of things as well, which is pretty interesting, to say the
0: least. As you say, you, you're you're um, referencing uh, work by some other groups here, and this group goes by a variety of names depending on who's reporting on them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, our report, we didn't try and take away from any of the, the naming or attribution that the previous public reports have used. Um, you know, if you look at Winty or lead or Barium, a lot of those names come from what the uh, the reporting entity, the security vendor, or the researcher, identified based on le- their telemetry. So, you know we're not necessarily trying to negate any of their findings, but rather kind of regroup and see how the greater picture is that these are all closely linked together. Um, so we took the approach of really trying to understand, The multiple uh, viewpoints into the same entity, which ended up being the Chinese intelligence apparatus, which we assess with high confidence, kind of seeing those different pieces of this intelligence apparatus uh, based on the public reports and linking them all together is one of the more fascinating parts we found.
0: All right. So let's dig in here. Take us through uh, what are they up to? What are their tactics, techniques and procedures?
1: Absolutely. So in 2017, when we began really heavily seeing this entity attack, uh, primarily in East Asia, uh, we, one of the more notable differences that we saw over previous public reporting was a shift towards open source and public tooling. We began seeing this actor use penetration testing tools such as, you know, Beef and Meterpreter and, and a few others. We saw them using Cobalt Strike internally to spread and propagate within the network and, you know, get their foothold in the environments. So in 2017, that was really interesting. We ended up encountering them in multiple aspects, doing the same exact thing. Ah, uh, going after their initial targets, uh, which were ended up being the uh, gaming and software organizations, and then in two thousand eighteen, later two thousand seventeen into two thousand eighteen, we began seeing a shift. Uh, more recently, up until about two weeks prior to the re- the release of our public report, we saw them shift more towards, um, you know, stepping away from open source tooling, going back to really heavy tactics of trying to live off the land. Uh, This entity has a really strong discipline to try and limit the amount of detection uh, capabilities that defenders would have. So if it comes down to using legitimate tooling that is approved by the organization to have command and control, we would see that. Uh, In some cases, we actually use them, abuse uh, organizations' VPN solutions to gain uh, authenticated remote access into their environment.
0: So let's back up a little bit and and walk us through uh, how they go at things here. According to your report, as with uh, many of these things, uh, it starts with some phishing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was the main kind of beachhead we've seen into the victim organizations. It always originally started with phishing. And to go back into 2017, the phishing trends have shifted dramatically over the years. Um, in 2017, the primary objective was to appear as an HR or a, an applicant to a job. Uh, human resources applicants, and going after IT and security folks for these job applicant positions. So they would have a phishing email that would say, hey, I'm a an individual looking for a job. Um, here's my resume. And you click the link, and then it kind of kicks off the attack from there. In 2018, more recently, we ended up seeing that shift go towards uh, trying to just do generic phishing on common services, such as uh, Google, Office 365, and so forth. And based on a lot of the Infrastructure that we are able to link to this, which we have in the report, ended up being, uh, we ended up seeing a lot of interesting associated uh, potential phishing campaigns that were going after um, internal business tooling, such as um, Jira uh, ticketing software, or Jira agile software, um, and ADP type solutions as well, which are pretty common for organizations.
0: Now, what, what once they got in, uh, what were they
1: after? The primary thing during these initial attacks ended up being code signing certificates we would see them once successfully get into the network either on their cloud infrastructure or their on-site enterprise network or anything like that we would see them immediately start to shift and seek out code signing certificates either locally on their shared drives or by scanning the internal network looking for any sort of uh host to intranet any sort of uh uh, software developer tools or anything like that Um, that was their primary focus was the code signing certificates um, and the use for those comes later. But the secondary objective, which we believe with pretty high confidence tends to be uh, potential moonlighting by the individual operator on the attacker end, uh, tends to be financially motivated. Hmm. So if we saw them identify or if they were able to identify uh, potential ways to manipulate the software, either a game or the actual uh, software solution by the victim uh, for financial gain, we would see the actor try and pursue that. And that would include things like uh, modifying or learning more about the back end of a, a a virtual economy or learning how to steal or mine virtual a, a currency for that particular game. And then they would take advantage of that at a later point. Um, so it was a really kind of a primary mission and then an optional secondary objective by the individual operators, which we believe to be uh, pretty standard for them.
0: So spell out for us uh, their their attraction to code signing certificates. Um, what's their goal there? What are they good for once they get their hands on them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that was really interesting because we've kind of categorized the victims into initial targets and later stage targets where we see the initial targets being sought after for the code signing certificates. And once the actor gets her hands on those, they exfiltrate this information and then they code sign their malware with that certificate so it's approved and legitimate um, because the victims often don't know that those have been stolen, so they're still valid. Uh, And then we would see that malware used against additional targets. Uh, Span of that use is quite dramatic. We saw cases where uh, an individual software organization's code signing certificates were used to sign malware to go after an online gaming organization. And then we ended up seeing trends where those two certificates were both used to sign malware going after political targets. So we believe the political targets... Um, And the higher value tech organizations tend to be the the later stage uh, victims or later stage targets, while the initial targets are really kind of seeking those code signing certificates. And then there were also pretty interesting trends in terms of links to previous reporting. So Novetta and the uh, Silence report that we referenced, they did a lot of uh, documentation and reporting on finding malware that was signed by other victims similar to this exact same tactic. So this isn't a new approach for them. They've been using it for uh, quite a few years at this point.
0: Take us through your process for attribution, how you established who this was. Uh, I understand uh, they were pretty careful, but uh, every now and then they got a little sloppy.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, the attribution side of the house is, is really interesting. We tend to try and stick away from attribution. We, you know, we didn't want to come up with a, a unique name of our own. We really kind of wanted to settle some dust in terms of confusion around naming, around public reporting over the last decade. So, when we ended up finding links to the infrastructure that our victims were being uh, targeted with or being uh, used in command and control or phishing, Uh, We ended up linking that to a lot of the previous reporting. So that added a lot of context around the historical documentation of this entity. And then we began to pretty much assess that with, you know, maybe there's overlap, maybe there's some shared resources. But, you know, just looking at infrastructure alone doesn't always provide you extremely high confidence. So once we began getting our hands into a a variety of environments that had, the same entity attacking them with the same linked infrastructure, we're able to build a really clear picture of kind of the, the amount of resources they're sharing and the links between all the different potential teams within this uh, intelligence apparatus. So, you know, the initial targets, we ended up seeing cases where they tend to be, you know, more of a, a B team. They have weaker operational security practices, while the later stage targets tend to have, you know, more discipline in terms of covering their tracks and so forth. So during a few engagements, we ended up identifying cases where uh, a victim organization was compromised and then the attacker made mistakes where they were also uh, identifying their potential true location. So that kind of came when they were doing command and control and they were making mistakes every once in a while to forget to proxy all of their command and control through their own proxy infrastructure. Uh, They were coming from their true location. And then they would quickly fix that. They would back out really quickly. So it was very small snippets in network traffic that we were able to identify uh, them being linked to a potential true location. In this case, it ended up being, uh, with fairly high confidence, the the Zixiang District of Beijing.
0: And someone sitting behind a a terminal saying to themselves, oh, crap. Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the... The, the view that we were able to kind of build just based on seeing all the logs and the network traffic and how fast it modified. Uh, typically it was, hey, they've gained foothold into the network and then they come in manually, remote into the network, and then they quickly back out and remote back in through their, pr- their uh, proper proxy infrastructure. So it was potential mistakes on the attacker end, and it only happened a handful of times across multiple victims. So it was, it was a pretty interesting trend to see, which uh, led us to help identify even more clues towards potential attribution.
0: You saw a good bit of overlap uh, among this group and, and other groups, which helped you with your attribution. In terms of this being state-sponsored or, or other groups, um, how much distinction is there? And and is it a distinction without a difference, perhaps?
1: It's really tricky. There's The way that this entity is structured isn't entirely clear. And that's the type of information that we can't always tell from uh, cyber-based threat intelligence. You know, there's just a lot we just don't know when we kind of build the uh, the uh, the profile of this actor, we start to learn their tactics, who they're going after, um, and then seeing the later stage uh, going after the politically focused victims or targets. And when you kind of put together this whole picture, you start to get an understanding of this greater mission that they're all working towards. Um, so this is where we start to step away from extremely high confidence statements. Um, you know, we try and say... You know, these guys are all working towards the same mission. However, there's multiple teams associated with it, we believe. And then those teams each have their own objectives as well. Um, and those teams, based on previous reporting, you start to step into, hey, these are likely government contractors. Uh, some of these uh, are likely, you know, actual team members. And so that's where you get a little fuzzy just because the that type of that depth of intelligence, we just can't tell from uh, you know, the, uh, cyber, uh, you know, realm or anything like that. So it gets a bit fuzzy, but linking that all to previous reporting, um, and seeing this, in, uh, un- involved in multiple victim organizations, we're able to pr- build a, a rather high, uh, amount of confidence on those statements.
0: How can people use uh, your findings here to, uh, inform their own defense against, uh, cyber attacks? A big
1: thing with the report—it's it's quite massive—but the vast majority of the reports actually the indicators associated with the infrastructure, and we released this report um, in a in a different uh, approach than we try and when we see typically through our industry. Um, we didn't want to just go out and completely burn uh, the indicators with no uh, head start to any defenders. Um, so we, when we wrote this report, we ended up releasing it early to um, our customers and a variety of other security vendors out there, trusted third parties, um, even if we don't have partnerships, just other researchers that we respect in the industry and that we know will handle it properly. Uh, we got this report to them early to see if they can help defend their organizations, identify or identify this for their customers before we go and publish it. So we tried to approach it with a bit of a head start uh, for defenders, but the, the indicators that are in the report are all the infrastructure that we've linked to this, uh, this single entity. Defenders can take those those indicators and historically look at any sort of logs or traffic or any sort of uh, you know, t- detection mechanisms they have internally um, and then add them to their own type of blacklist. This actor group tends to reuse infrastructure over, over the last decade, so we don't believe this is going to completely burn down and they're going to rebuild from scratch. Um, I do believe they are going to come back and keep using this in the future. And then also, um, more importantly than indicators and just real-time detections like that, is we try to provide in this report an accurate actor profile. So a defender can read this report and then get an understanding of the types of tactics that are currently in use from state-sponsored attackers and you know, more determined and, and advanced groups out there. So, you know, if you read this as an, a defender, you can take these um, these tactics that this entity uses and ensure you have coverage in your environments, um, you know, start to question your tooling and your detection and response capability. You know, if this happened to you, would you be able to respond and, and find it inside your network? Um, so multiple approaches
0: there, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. What's your estimation of the sophistication of this group?
1: Definitely varies. Like I mentioned, uh, the initial attacks. Some of them tend to be more of like the B team. Um, so it spans this group tends to have just based on the variety of attacks and the 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 breadth of their victim you know targets. They tend to have a, a variety of different skill sets internally. Each team, a part of this uh, entity, tends to have those different skill sets. So you know we have the more advanced side of things, which tend to be the politically focused attackers, and then we have the initial attacks, which Tend to be, um, you know, more of that B team. So generally, they're they're pretty sophisticated. If anything, I would say they're extremely patient and determined. Um, they will tend to go after the same organization uh, years down the road. It's a mix, um, to say the least. There's there's quite a variety depending on the uh, the type of attack they're doing at that time. You know, the, a big piece of this is we're not trying to take attribution to the next level or come up with some new name. I think this is the way we, where our team is approaching uh, public reporting on on any sort of threat intelligence. You know, we don't want to add more more haze to the to the industry and and that type of stuff. So we we really want to try and um, you know add clarity to profiles of actors and attackers. So. I think this type of approach is something that other defenders and, and researchers uh, should try and follow if they can.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting insight. I mean, it, when it comes to sharing information across the industry, you know, I understand that uh, a, a lot of researchers uh, from different companies, you know, you all you, you have uh, Slack groups that you share in common and, and various ways to communicate with each other to uh, to share. I mean, is there that general sense of uh, of community of sharing among researchers across the industry?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there definitely is. The kind of the black eye of the industry, in my opinion, tends to be the the vendors out there that will take and repurpose it for, uh, you know, they'll t- try and take other people's r- research and monetize it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, similar to how we see, you know, the the big reports based around the, the large virus or malware that's spreading like WannaCry or something like that. You know, every vendor jumps on it you know, it's kind of an interesting topic to say the least. There's a a handful of people that we really trust as as our team that we share information with pretty openly. And you know, they, they're not partners or customers or anything like that, but we just trust that they'll take it and, and use it appropriately rather than trying to turn it around and monetize it for their own their own gain. Uh, so it's a matter of identifying those trusted, closed groups. And when it comes to sharing to the, the more public groups out there, we tend to wait until later stages before we get to that point because um, they can't all be trusted, right. uh, unfortunately.
0: It's the nature of the business, right? Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Our thanks to Tom Hagel from ProtectWise 401 TRG for joining us. You can find the Burning Umbrella Report on their website. And now a word from our sponsor, Six Sense.